Are you ready, AP? Ready when you are. Let's lay this baby down. Lofty, you on the guitar, mate. You're right, Scope. Yep, standing by. Bertie, you on the bass? Yep, ready to go. All right, here we go then. One, two, three, four. Just two good old boys. Two good old boys. Never meeting a harm. Before he never saw the hat, no hair since the day they was born. Straighten the curves. Straighten the curves. Flatten the heels. The coffee might get him, but the Lord never will. For casting away the only way they know how. With a little more mojo than the Lord will allow. Everybody and welcome to the Mojo Radio Show. Lots going on globally, and apparently, it's been reported that podcast audiences are growing due to lockdown. So, wherever you are in the 78 countries that take our little program, good to have you on board. If you are new to the show, and I suspect there are each week, what's the show about? Well, we just find interesting people with a point of view, an opinion on something that can help us get our mojo working, we find out what they've done, how do we get some of it, and how do we apply that to our own world, or maybe the world of a friend who's just feeling flattened, a bit bored being locked up. Uh, So one and all, welcome to The Lockdown on the Mojo Radio Show. AP, uh, how are you coping? Yeah, going all right, actually. Um, We're inventing new games. We have a a lockdown game. It's called uh, Lockdown Alcohol Name. And it's pretty simple. All you have to do is uh, your first name is actually your first name and your last name is actually your last name. And that becomes your lockdown alcohol name. It's a good game. I'll leave that to your imagination. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. Lola, I guess nothing's really changed that much for you except there's you've got three men around you a lot more. <laughs> I'm happy with that. Oh, Lola. And Robbo, what's going on with you, mate? What's the update? Well, I got a bit of a question based on your little rave at the opening there. If there's 75 countries that take us, where do they take us? 78. To the bathroom? 78. To the bathroom? <laughs> I don't know. To the bus stop. <laughs> to the bus stop. I'm not sure where they take us, in fact, but I suspect uh, they're on the move because yeah. most people listen to podcasts on the move, so they're taking us uh, somewhere. A bit like REO Speedwagon. They take it on the run, you reckon? REO Speedwagon. What was their big hit? Take it on the run, baby, if that's the way you want it, baby. I got nothing. (laughs) Anyway, this week we are heading to Bucket List Town, due north where the dreamers live. 
Let's get started. Robbo, kick us off with something remarkable. Robbo's Remarkable Facts. Let's go. I'm going all Elvis this week because over the Easter long weekend, I had a bit of an Elvis fest reliving some of my youth. I used to love Elvis. And uh, it sparked my interest in some Elvis trivia. Did you know, speaking of international countries and such, he only ever played five concerts outside of the US and they were all on the one three-day tour of Canada back in 1957. Many people thought that was because he just didn't like the travel, but it turns out his longtime manager, Colonel Tom Parker, was actually an illegal immigrant and would have been deported if he had applied for a passport. So that's the reason he never went anywhere. And that also is a lovely segue to this week's guest. Well, it's one for the money, two for the show, three to get ready now, go, cat, go, but don't you step on my blue suede shoe. Well, you can do anything but take over my blue suede shoe. The Mojo Radio Show. Our guest this week was introduced to us by our good mate in Canada, Ben Baker. Ben Baker boy. <laughs> who I caught up with on Zoom recently. I, I guess, I tell you what, if you're going to buy shares in something, you'd be buying shares in Zoom right at the moment. Yeah. And in the conversation, Ben said, you should meet this guy. His name is Steve Sims. And it said that Steve's day job is to make the impossible possible. His, the people he works with have wild dreams and then it's Steve's job to make them come true. So say, for example, you want to get married by the Pope at the Vatican. Steve has made that happen. Recently, Andre Bocelli did an amazing uh, show during the lockup for the Mojo Radio Show from Duomo. If you want to be serenaded by Andrea Bocelli under the Statue of David, Simsy can make it happen. If you want to be connected with business moguls like Elon Musk or Richard Branson, Yep, Steve's the man. And Sir Elton, Sir Elton John, big fan of the show, is actually a client of Steve Sims. He's also a best-selling author. He wrote a book called Blue Fishing, The Art of Making Things Happen. He's a sought-after consultant and a speaker, and he's done a wide range of gigs that we could only dream about. He's spoken at the Pentagon and Harvard twice. Wow. Not a bad resume, and now you can add the Mojo Radio Show. Steve Sims, welcome to the show, mate. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Now, before we start, we were connected, which we'll talk about. We were connected by uh, a good mate of ours and a former guest of the show, Ben Baker. How do you guys, how do you get to know each other? Uh, so me and Ben, God, it was, it was pretty recent, but we've also done work together on uh, – um, podcast and stuff so you know it's not really the longest relationship in the planet but obviously i inspired <laughs> him enough to spread my word <laughs> when you speak of spreading the word when you meet somebody you're in los angeles you meet somebody for the first time who is not familiar with you or your backstory and they ask you what you do how do you like to reply <laughs> okay well we we need to split this up into two answers there's the answer I give anyone in LA, and then there's the answer I give anyone else in the planet. Um, <laughs> LA, when I first moved to LA, within first few seconds, I thought, wow, they're really friendly here because 
anyone in you're getting a coffee and people are like, hey, how you doing? You know, you're good, you know, what are you into? And I just thought, wow, they're really friendly here until you really realize real quick they're just trying to find out what agency you work at, you know, what who you represent, are you an artist, are you a, you know, in the movie industry? It's really aggressive here. And getting getting a uh, getting a coffee is basically like going into the middle of hunting season with a with a red dot on your back. Um, so in LA, if someone says to me, "Oh, what do you do?" I tell them I'm a gas pump attendant, or I tell them I'm a U bend specialist. Um, I don't want to talk to people in LA. It's funny. I actually moved to LA to get away from people. And so I live out in the hills now and I don't actually see a lot of people. I see more people as I fly into my events in Denver, Vegas, San Francisco, places like this than I do in LA. Um, in fact, we did a, um, we did a cocktail reception at my house a little while ago. We had trouble knowing anyone local enough to actually invite them because we knew more people in Chicago than we did in LA. Um, but if I'm outside of LA and someone says, what do you do? It really depends on the environment. If I'm in a coffee bar and someone says, oh, what do you do? And I'm just like, oh, you know, I run a travel agency. You know, I'll just be as flippant as that to find out more about them. Um, if I'm in an event uh, and I'm looking for clients, then I may, I may turn around and say, I actually make cocktail, I actually make you more interested in cocktail places. Um, I may drop something like that and get them to go, oh, what do you mean? I go, well, you ever got wanted to get married by the Pope? You ever wanted to walk through SpaceX with Elon Musk? You ever wanted to go kite surfing with Richard Branson? That's what I do. So really, depend, my answer depends on the environment that I'm in and whether or not I'm trying to get clients and what kind of clients I'm trying to get. You've talked about some of the things that you put on to make people interested in cocktail parties. And, you know, as we said at the head of the show, you've taken people to see the wreck of the Titanic and the seabed and done private dinners in Florence and work with Sir Elton, Elon, you've mentioned Branson. Like you've done all these things. And for most of us, we would hear those things and go, sure, they cost a lot of money. Can anything in your mind, can anything, any event be bought? Anything can be purchased. I think absolutely anything can be purchased, but it's not always going to be purchased by money. Um, I've, had, uh, I've had very famous people um, turn around and go, no, no, no. You see, see if, you want to, if you want to get a famous person to walk away from you, then ask them this. How much will it cost to... And before you finish the sentence, they've walked away. Because no one wants to be looked at as a prostitute, okay? But if you turn around and you say, hey, I know you're involved in a charity, and I've done this, how would you feel if the school that you are, um, are working with or that school that you just built has new computers for the next five years in every single room? Would that be of interest to you? Oh, absolutely. Great. Because I have a client that wants to have breakfast with you. And so what you're doing is you're giving them a value that's beyond because you've thought, here's the main thing, you've thought of a problem that they have and brought them a solution in one sentence. And people want solutions. You know, if, the one thing I hate is when people come up to me and they say, oh, if you ever need anything, Steve, just let me know. Well, why should I suddenly be chored with thinking about that? 
But if you came to me and you went, hey, Steve, your book's doing really well, but I've got a way of you being able to sell another 100,000 copies or you're speaking on loads of stages, Steve. I know a couple of stages you could speak on that you haven't thought of. You're giving me a solution to a problem that I may not even thought I had. But when these people come up to me going, oh, you haven't need anything, you just call me. Well, I need my toilet clean. Can you do that tonight? You know, just why should it be my problem to now think of what you can solve? Go the extra mile and think of the solution to a problem I maybe hadn't come across yet. If if we set this up, Steve, with all you've done in this career, blue fishing, which we'll get to in a second, with all you've done, tell me, Tell me an amazing event, something that was special to you and the person, the client you're working with, that did not cost a lot of money. However, it was rich with meaning. Give us, give us the other end of the spectrum of these things that cost money. What didn't cost that much but was very rich in meaning? Do you know, I thought you were going to hit me with that question earlier as you started doing some leading. So I'm going to, if I may, tweak the question slightly okay if you had asked me what is the most amazing impactful event that you have ever put on steve i would still tell you the story of the one that cost me 1800 bucks so the lesson before we get into the story is you need to focus on the impact not on the checkbook And I had a client that I had done a lot of business with. I had had them sipping champagne, literally sitting on a mound of diamonds. I had sent them overnight to Paris for a meal and then flew them back the following day, you know, just because they wanted to have a a beautiful French meal. Um, I'd done some amazing things that with this client had spent anywhere between 50 grand on a weekend to three quarters of a million bucks on a weekend over probably about 12 years of working with them. And one day they contacted me, and it was his anniversary, and it was one of the pinnacle years. It was either the 15th or the 20th year that these couple had been married. And they said to me, okay, it's our anniversary. We need to do something amazing. You had us sipping champagne on a diamond mound. You know, you had us doing this. You had us doing We've really got to do something special for this because this is the, as I say, one of the, the, the pinnacle years. It's got to be this. It's got to be this. It's got to be this. It's got to be impactful. And it was that last word that he mentioned which changed the whole dynamic of the event. And I said to him, all right, let's go back in time. Tell me about her. Now, I knew she was. I've been working with her for 12 years, but I wanted him to tell me about her. So he starts telling me about her and how they met and blah, blah, blah. And he told me that he had met her um, at college and it was in America. They're American clients. And he had tried scoring a date with her for, for months. And she had just basically got rid of him every single time. And then one day, he borrowed his parents' picnic rug and an old hamper and a boombox. And he had sat outside her class. And as she came out of her class with all of her girlfriends, he hit the boombox. Some lovey tune came out. He knocked the cap, uh, knocked the uh, top off a bottle of champagne, offered her up a glass of champagne, said, care to join me? And it was very cheesy in front of all of her mates, and she did. So when we, when we decided to do something impactful, we decided let's recreate the first moment that he committed 
to her, which was that moment. So we got, uh, they were in Chicago. We literally just set up this rug and we had gone through old pictures to see what the hamper looked like, what the picnic rug looked like, what the boom box looked like. And we recreated down to what he was even wearing. Now, every year, get this for a start, every year she had been taken from her house to a private airstrip, from her house to uh, um, a jeweler's to sit on a mound of diamonds to have champagne. Every year she, she knew something incredible was going to happen. So that day we put her in the car, let her off, and she literally went for about an hour's drive in the limo while we set this up at a local park. She had no idea what she was getting involved in. And then the car pulls up to the edge of this park. Now, you can't rent off. This will make you giggle. You can't rent off a bit of a private park. So we, what we did was we had a bunch of people with dogs circling on long leads around where this picnic rug was, about 100 yards away from it, just to stop people walking into where this was. Okay, we had three boom boxes that we had purchased on eBay. Two of the buggers wouldn't work. One of them managed to work. And then you think about a 1980s boom box. How the hell do you record anything on it anymore? You don't even buy cassettes anymore. So we even had trouble. Once we knew it did work, we had to send off the cassette that we had a special order to get recorded the tunes that he remembered being on his tape deck so that we had a working boombox and a cassette that actually played. If that tape had got jammed, would have been screwed. So she gets out of the car. He's on this picnic rug that was an identical copy of the one that he had first borrowed from his mug, a hamper and sandwiches wrapped in a foil, again, to the, to the perfect key of when they first met. She stepped out of that limo saw him, he leant back, hit the boombox, and I think it was Janet Jackson or Alexander O'Neill, something like that, started to come out. He knocked off the cap off of a bottle of whiskey, went, care to join me? She hit the deck. Honestly, it was like she'd been tasered. She hit the deck and started sobbing like crazy that he had paid that amount of detail and it was so impactful that he remembered the first time that they had met and that he had committed. She was just bawling her eyes out. The poor limo driver is holding the door open, didn't know what the bloody hell to do. So he starts helping him up. He comes over. I'm behind one of the trees, and I'm literally, I'm making out to my team that I've got an allergy or something because the tears are starting to come down. It, it ripped her to the core of the first time they had ever met. So the most impactful event I've ever done in my life was that. That event could have cost nearer a thousand bucks hadn't we had to buy two trashy boom boxes. But that was the most impactful event that we had ever. And I've worked with the Pope, Andrea Bocelli, Elton John, Guns N' Roses. I can name drop till it pisses you off. That was the most impactful event I had ever in my life put together to till this day. Do you know what's interesting, Steve? that I hear in that. And you, you've done the same thing with a lot of your clients. I heard you tell the story of Journey. And, and the thing that is the hook for all that is because I, fi- I figure if you go, most things are available for money and you find out what their interests are, we could all do that. 
What What's interesting about the stories you tell and that particular story and stories like it is that, and I think it's such a great lesson for parents or leaders or working with friends is that that the little comment you said is, tell me about that. Because it wasn't just the original thing. It was the listening interest and genuine attention you played to tell me about that. That simple phrase seems to be something you use as a tool to get beyond the obvious to find out what's really going on, what's the real dream. Do you consciously do that? I didn't, but I do. Um, I think it was at a time when I was trying to find I was trying to find an angle. I was trying to find something that made you want to come back to me that made me more special. And in searching to try and find what this angle was, I would interview our clients. And of course, as the years have gone on, I realized that without realizing it, that in itself was my unique thing. Because now we the world is the world is full of mass distraction and mass noise. And what we try to do now that is wrong is we try to give the clients what they asked for immediately. We're in a transaction uh, um, industry, a transaction generation at the moment. Now, that's absolutely fine if you're in McDonald's, okay? But anyone that's in business that supplies anything to another person, the internet has created a lot of stupid people where we get a tiny bit of information and think we know everything. And they say the client's always right. Biggest piece of bullshit in the, in the world. The client's not always right. The client doesn't know what they don't know. That's your job. So whenever I get in front of a client, my first thing that I've realized, before I've even spoken to before the air has left our lips, is I am not going to give you what you ask for. I'm going to give you what you need and desire and lust for. And those are two different things. And you're right. I want to find out the reason behind it. They say, Simon Sinek said, find your why. I want to find out what is your reason for asking me this question? Not what is the question, not what is the request. Why is the request there? What's the added oomph behind the 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 point that you've got in front of me to ask that question. If I may, I'd like to tell you about two clients, uh, well, one one client and one non-client that I had a year ago that will sum up a perfect example. And it was a perfect example um, of discovering the core. Now, if, if that's okay, may I do that? Sure. Yeah, yeah, go, go ahead. Right, okay. So uh, you mentioned earlier that I worked for Elton John. Yes, I did. Uh, I worked for Elton John for about eight years. And um, last year, 2019, um, I had a guy call me. Um, I didn't know him, never heard of him before. He had got my phone number from someone else. And he's like, hey, how you doing? I hear you work with Elton John for his Oscar party. And I said, yes, I do. How may I help you? And he said, I want to meet Elton John and get a picture. Ah, that sounds fantastic. Why do you want to do that? Well, he's one of the last greats. You know, he's an icon. He's been around the movie. You know, I want to get a photograph of him. He ain't going to be around much longer. You know, so I want to get a, a, a photograph with one of the greats. 
I'm thinking, well, that's pretty shallow. Um, not much there. So I went, oh, well, you know, thank you very much. You know, let me see what can happen. I'll get back to you. I did not get back to him. It, there was just no meat to that request. It was very, very woolly. And quite openly, he wanted a photograph he could stick on his desk and impress everybody else. But to him, it was irrelevant. Okay, there was no call. It was about a month later, um, one of my team phoned me up and they said, hey, I've got this guy on the line and he wants to have a, 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 a wants to meet Sir Elton John. And I thought it was one of this guy, one of these guys' friends, because I hadn't got back to him, he was trying to get his mate to contact me. That's what I thought. So I went, oh, put him through, put him through. It's probably the, uh, the other guy just trying a different angle. This guy gets on the phone. I said, hey, how you doing? He said, hi, I hear you work with Elton John. Yeah, I do. How may I help you? He said, well, you know, I, I want to meet Elton John. You know, I want to, I yeah, I want to meet the guy. I said, oh, yeah, you know, why do you want to do that? Well, he's one of the greats. And, one of, and he went to basically the same as what the other guy did. And I have to admit, I'd already cast him aside in my head. You know, I was going through the emotion. He went, well, he's one of the greats and, you know, he's... Uh, He's, you know, he's one of the last big icons, and he's, he's known by Elton. And, um, well, you know, there's just there's a couple of things. And that, yeah, and that's it. And it was the way he ended the conversation that he was obviously hiding something. There's a couple of things. And he wanted to hide it. He didn't want to reveal it. Today, we're actually very, very scared of revealing what makes us move, what arouses us, what gets us lit up. Okay, we're actually very, very scared of that. But he had fallen off on the end of that conversation with there's a couple of things. And I said to him, what's those couple of things? And I was very quiet in my voice. I was very calm. I said, what's those couple of things? And he went quiet and he came back to me in a very quiet voice. And he said, when I was a kid, my dad would take me to school and picked me up from school. Never missed a day. It was our thing. Not my mum. My dad took me. My dad brought me home. But in our car, we had a cassette. And we only had one cassette in the car, and it was Elton John. And he would sing on the way to school and sing on the way back. Now, when I was a kid, I found this funny. When I was a teenager, he used to annoy and piss me off. He said, but he made a point of only having Elton John in the car and singing on the way to school and on the way back from school. He said, now, my dad's passed away a good 20 years. He said, but whenever I'm driving down the road and the radio's on and Elton John comes on, my dad is sat next to me. I want to thank Elton for bringing my dad back to me every journey I have. Now, that's got me on the bone. That's got core. And I introduced him to Elton, and he told Elton this story, and they hugged. If you don't get to the core, now I haven't mentioned anything about price tag, but if once you can find out what makes someone's bells ring, then the price tag becomes irrelevant because you've now exposed the value and the core and the reason. And the price that he had paid would have been the same price I'd charge the other guy. But the other guy would have walked in with an empty, shallow reason. He just wanted a photograph and to be gone. And I didn't want to be a part of that. I have noticed if you give clients 
what they dream of, lust, and desire, and not what they've asked for, two things happen. One, you, you supersede their expectations. You go way above what they expected because most people think stuff is impossible to get. They just naturally go, oh, that's impossible, and they cast it aside, which is great because it means that everything I do looks as though it was impossible. But when you've given them that, you've got a client for life because you've taken the time to care. And then what happens, and you said right at the beginning, how do I introduce myself? Do you know, I my website for my concierge firm, when that was going hot, uh, hot, and even now, doesn't have a phone number, doesn't have a way of you being able to contact me. Because all of my business came from referrals. It would be the guy that went and sang with Journey. It would be the guy that hugged Elton John. It would be the guy that had Andrea Bocelli um, sing to him during his pastor in a closed-down museum. Would tell other people about it and then make the introduction to me. So I came from people going... I just spoke to Jimmy, and I heard what you did. My God, I don't know how you did that, but I have a dream. And again, before I hear the dream, I already know I'm not going to give you that. I'm going to give you above that. Do you know it's interesting, and I'm not quite exactly sure how to frame this question, but I'll endeavor to set it up. There are two <laughs> guys who wanted to meet Elson. One guy wanted the photo. One guy had a story. And... If I set another example, it's probably the event that I think if there was an event you've done that intrigues me the most is serving dinner at the feet of the Statue of David. <laughs> and I turn around and Andre Bocelli is serenading me and my partner. There are two people sitting at the table. One is the guy who wants the guy or girl who wants the selfie. And one is the guy who's got a backstory. Where I'm going to is, is hearing a lot of these things, Steve, I can imagine there are a lot of people who are absolutely looking for the selfie and are almost immune yep. to joy. Like they're almost just get this thing, put it on my table, move on. I'm so used to sitting on a pile of diamonds. I'm so used to doing this. I just need the photo. The other person is got that backstory and that story with Sir Elton was beautiful. Tell me, tell me about the way you create the moment or the ritual to register a moment where it sits in someone's soul. Because I think there are people who are missing the joy. Others are taking in the joy in the moment. How do you, how do you as Steve Sims do it, number one? And number two, the moments that you've talked about, how do people, is there a ritual or routine they go through to just go, Wow. As I say, if people have said to me, have you ever failed to get anything? And of course, the answer is no. And I know it's arrogant to say, of course. But again, if you listen back to this podcast, you'll realize I've never given them what they asked for in the first place. So it's very hard to fail when you don't give people what they wanted or what they asked for. You gave them what they wanted, but not what they asked for. Um, what I tend to do is because of that, if someone gives me an X then I give them a YZ and an ABC. Now, if, if I go to you and you say to me, and I actually, I, I do a lot of consulting now under my, my new Steve D. Sims brand, and people, I was talking to a baker a little while ago, and I had this client at a bakery, and he said, I do very well, I've got a lot of corporate gigs, I don't know how to take it any further. And I said to him, I said, you want to start asking why people want stuff? And he said, well, that's going to take up time. 
And I said, well, that time is an investment in a relationship, and we are in a relationship currency. You can make more money, but it's harder to make relationships nowadays. But a good relationship will make you way more money. So I said to him, ask why. Whatever someone orders from you, ask why, and then try to find out how you can add more to that. And I said, you've got to find that moment that takes it from a transaction to a trigger. And it's the trigger that's important. And he had a guy come in and he wanted a red cake. And he said, what do you want? He said, I want a red cake and I want it in this color. And the guy brought in a little swatch of the color of the red cake. He said, can you do a red cake like that? And he said, I absolutely can. But why? And most people are frightened to ask the question, why? Do you know, funny enough, I could swear at you and you may get offended. But if I asked you why, if you said, hey, Steve, can we have a chat next week? And I turned around to you and I said, why? That would offend you even more. For some reason, why is one of the scariest words around. I get people contact me all day long through all of my social platforms. Hey, I've got this brilliant deal. We should talk. Oh, we've got to connect. We've got to do this. And I just will have all of my team respond. Or I'll respond. I'll go, why? And I will get people come back to me going, you arrogant bastard. I just thought you. And they will get aggressive with me. But then I'll get other people going, good question. It's because of this, 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 and they will give me the, and that will identify whether or not I'm going to communicate with them. So this guy actually came in, asked for the red cake, and the guy turned around and he said, okay, yeah, you want a red cake? Why? And shut up. And he said, the guy looked at me, and I thought he was going to walk out the door. And he said, well, it's for my dad's birthday. Now, he's buying a cake in red in a bakery. Obviously, there's going to be some reason behind it. Obviously. No one does that. It's obvious there's some reason behind it. Um, even if you just woke up one morning and wanted a red cake, there has to be a reason. So the guy turned around and said, well, it's for me dad. He said, okay, what's it for? He said, well, it's, it's, it's a birthday cake. Okay, why red? Well, he's a great fan of Ferrari. All right, why Ferrari? Well, he loves, loves the cars, and since he was a kid, he's always loved the old Ferraris. He went, so he loves the old Ferraris, not the new ones. No, he's, he loves all the 60s. So he said, okay, then, why don't we put a Cavallino horse on the top and then let me get some old little matchbox cars uh, representing the older style of the price and put them around the bottom. And he said, that's absolutely beautiful. He said, a lot of people don't realize that the earlier Ferraris, one of the key colors, instead of red, was yellow. He said, why don't I have some little yellow cupcakes around at the bottom as well? So you've got the big red cake, and the little yellow, there's the internal of the badge around the bottoms. And the guy went over the moon. So the point is, you have to ask why, because you're not getting the sale. You're establishing a relationship and a trigger. When I speak to a client and they want X, I'm going to interview them, but I'm not going to tell them what they're going to get. Because then there's the expectation that they're going to get it. You walk in, into me and go, hey, Steve, want a red cake? and I give you a red cake, that's a McDonald's transaction. If I say to you, let me play with it, and I've interviewed you, and I know the cause, and I've been doing this a while enough to know that I'm going to listen. Your strength is to listen, create, and dream, and none of those three things Alexa or Siri can do. Okay? All of these AIs are transaction. You are not going to jump on Amazon.com 
and contact them today and go, hey, what toilet paper should I get? They're not going to talk to you. You go on there and you make a decision and they send it to you. We're in a transaction society and people are stunned when you take the time to care. When I told the guy, when the guy actually had the meal at David, I told him I would get a local entertainer to serenade them. A local entertainer. I didn't tell him it was one of the maestros of today's Italian music. Okay? When I told him I would find a unique location in Florence, I didn't tell him I would take over an entire museum and sit him at the feet of Michelangelo's David. I didn't tell him any of those things. I build in an element of surprise. I also, and I love doing this, and it's just, I think, I think part of it is my narcissistic internals, but I love to build in an anticlimax. okay? I will go to someone and I will go, oh, I'm sorry, the singer didn't turn up. I did this in, in Florence. I went to my client, who I told I was getting a local entertainer, and I went to him just as he was sitting down at the meal, and I said to him, I have to let you know, the entertainer we, was looking, we were looking at, he couldn't make it tonight. So I've had to find a replacement for him. But don't worry. Now, <laughs> in the situation of that, what would you do? You'd start worrying. When someone says, don't worry, you know there's a little part of you that starts worrying. So when I, when I bring in Andrea Bocelli, I have messed with your mind. Now, we all know about something called a pattern interrupt, don't we? You know, when your kids are being silly, what do you do? You clap your hands. When your dog's doing something, you clap your hands or you shout. You try to change their attention. Now, you can do that quietly, and you can say to the client, hey, I'm really sorry that today didn't go the way that we had planned, but I think you're going to have a good day in any case. You know, you do something like that with a client, they're going to be like, my God, what, what's going on? It's going to mess with their mind, and when you mess with their mind, you can actually install more in it. I actually run events now in America called speakeasies, which are my private mastermind groups, never more than 40 people. They pay two grand to turn up at the location, and I never tell them where it is. I literally have them on day one turn up at a bus stop or at a uh, monument or at something in the location. I did one at, um, recently at Vegas, um, and I said to them, you need to turn up at the valet stand at 8.30 in the morning at this hotel. And when I did one in Beverly Hills, I had them uh, turn up at a bus stop at 8.30 in the morning. For two days, they're mine, and I don't tell them what they're going to learn, who's going to be workshopping with them, or what they're going to get up to, and they just turn up. Now, you lose a lot of clients. You get a lot of people going, well, I'm not going to pay you two grand if you're not going to tell me what I'm doing. Hey, that's fine. I want the right people, not a lot of people. And when you're only doing an event for 40 people, and of course, what do they do? They then go home and they go, I can't believe it. I went to the Gigafactory with Elon Musk today, or I went on the rooftop of Louis Vuitton in Beverly Hills, or I went to Frank Sinatra's music studios, or I went to uh, the headquarters of Manny Chat and Tesla in Fremont. They then tell their friends and they go, so when's the next one? It's in Vegas. It's in Nashville. What are you going to get? No idea. Steve never tells us. And that's the kind of euphoria I like to create in someone. I never want to give anyone anything that they can expect. I never want to give them any hints. If they are hints, they are lies to get you going down the wrong path. 
and I want to mess with your mind. I like to to do a little bit of a, a bit of a mind melt, and I think you could do that in any business. And I think that's the key point, Steve, is that when you tell the story of the cake shop with the Ferrari, that just demonstrates that it's not just a money thing, it's actually a thinking thing, and we could apply that to anybody who has customers and clients. We could do that. And the other thing also I'm curious about is you've got your own association to Ferrari, and on your office wall, there is a photo of you leaning against a, a Ferrari Dino in a flash suit and you're hosting a party by Ferrari in Monaco. Why, why is that photo on the wall for you and why is it significant? Do you know, I actually just posted that picture for the first time ever up on my Facebook page um, literally this weekend. No matter what the stories, the locations of an entrepreneur all of our stories are very similar. We all don't fit in. Um, we all feel that self-doubt. We all question ourselves. We all need to be challenged. We all need to be invigorated. I was running a, a business where I was the man that can. I was Mr. Fix-It. Whatever you needed, anywhere in the world, whatever you could think of, Steve Sims was the guy that could do it. And I was working with some of the most powerful clients in the world, not the most famous, the far richer. Um, and I was dealing with people that owned things like countries. And one day I was actually working with Ferrari at the Monaco Grand Prix. One day, about four months prior to this event, I woke up in the morning. Now, bear in mind, you've got to understand, for any of you fortunate enough to be listening to this and not being able to see what I look like, I do not look like Brad Pitt, unfortunately. Um, I'm 230 pound of ugly. I'm a big British biker, always been on two wheels, tattoos, eyebrow piercings, you know, that, that's me. Um, it was before this story and it was after this story, but I was always turning up my clients, no matter where I was in the world, on a motorbike. And I... Just before this event in Monaco, seven years into a successful business, working with one of the biggest brands in the planet, Ferrari, um, I actually had that self-doubt that all entrepreneurs get. And I went out and I parked the motorbike and I bought suits and I bought a vintage Ferrari to look like a connoisseur. Bottom line of it is I bought suits, an expensive watch, and an expensive car to impress you. Now, the Dino is a beautiful car, but I didn't buy it because I loved it. I did it because it would impress you. I sold myself out. And I went to Monaco in this car, in this new version of me, and I wasn't true to myself. And there was so much effort in me trying to, can I pronounce things better, act a certain way, look nonchalant, coming out. I was physically tired. And when I got back from that event and I got all the photographs back and I saw me leaning up against this Ferrari, I realized what a sellout I had become. I had sold myself and I vowed I would never do that and I had done it. It literally threw me into a drunken stupor, depressed me. I sold the car, got rid of the suits and luckily decided that's not the man I want to be. I never want to spend an ounce of effort or energy on being who I am. If you don't like it and you don't want to deal with me, 
It's not offensive. Go along. We'll both be good. We'll both be fine. We'll both survive. But it was such a dark moment. And you never think the dark moment is going to be when you're driving around in a half a million dollar car and tailor-made suits and a 50 grand watch. You never think that's going to be your darkest moment, but it sure as shit was. So I have always kept that picture to vow to myself that I will never be anybody other than me. It's interesting, Steve, over the last probably three seasons, we've had this theme of identity, whether it be Todd Herman talking about the alter ego effect, Dr. Simon Marshall talking about sports psychology, psychologists talking about identity and how people get caught up in the wrong identity and don't have the self-awareness. And hearing you talk, you've, it seems like you've gone through several identities where at 15 years old, you refer back to being a bricklayer. There was a period with the Ferrari Dino where you get caught up in the, tra- the trappings. You refer to yourself as 230 pounds of ugly. You're putting on these gala events, yet you're in a black T-shirt. It's really interesting that there seems to be these periods of identity that go through your world. And you've said it takes zero effort to be you. How do you how do you reconcile the identity changes you've been through in your own world to where you are today? I actually have something that I focus on called an ROE, and that's return on energy. Um, I've done some projects and some business where I've ended up working with clients that have been assholes, and it's been a lot of effort to be able to put up with our ego and that mood swings and that prima donna attitude. But hey. I'm making like, you know, six figures commission on it. So I'll suffer it. You get to a point where you just go, hang on a minute. It's affecting how I respond to everybody else. It's affecting how I respond to my family, to my other clients by putting up with this. Is it worth it? So I focus on the ROE, not on the ROI. You know, the um, picnic story I told you about. You know, I made 1800 bucks for the cost of a couple of, uh, of – we probably made $1,000 out of it. When you go back in time and realize how much it cost for my staff to be there for the day, I probably ended up losing money on that day. But it was such an impactful day, I got swallowed up in the emotion, and it's still the best day of ROE that I had. So in doing so, I don't want any of the ROE to – be me. I don't want me to be one of the things um, that is causing effort. And so I realized that once, and it was funny because after I had come back from being that Ferrari guy, there was a party, that, uh, not a party, it was like a business mixer once a month in Switzerland. And I was living there at the time. And I remember every month I would turn up on a motorbike, black t-shirt, leather jacket, walk into the event, Crash helmet, put the crash helmet on the edge of the bar and mingle around, okay? And then I went through this period of wearing a suit. And I remember once I threw all that stuff away, I wondered, hmm, has the world changed? Do I need to get used to wearing those suits? You know, are they bored of Steve Sims in his black T-shirt and motorbike? I decided to go back to the event, the, the once-a-month mixer, on my bike, black T-shirt, and look at the crowd. Has the crowd changed? Has the world changed? Has marketing changed? And I turned up there 
purely to be an observer that night. Now, we all know these kind of pubs and bars and clubs and gyms and stuff that we go to, and there's all the familiar faces in there that you may know only when you go to that environment. You know, they're the Pams, the Susans, the Johns, the Bobs. You don't know that last name, but you walk past them and you go, hey, John, how you doing? Hey, Philip, how you doing? And that's it. You know nothing else about that person. Well, there was this guy at this event, and he was one of those floaters. I had no idea about him. Didn't care to be part of his world. Didn't know anything, but I knew his name. He knew my name. And they'd be like, hey, John, hey, Steve, and that kind of thing. Now, I was sat at the bar for my observer, observer, uh, observer role that night, and he walked past me, and he said, hey, Steve, haven't seen you here for months. Now, I had never missed a month of this business mixer. Never once. But for about six months, I was turning up in that suit, you know, trying to be the flash boy, trying to be the guy with the expensive watch. And it was the way he said, haven't seen you here for months. Now, he wasn't being deep. He was on his way to the toilet. You know, that was the last of the conversation. I didn't even respond or when he walked past me. But I realized... I hadn't shown up. This, this, um, uh, you know, this shield had, this person, this, this um, fake person had been in my place for all of that time. And it's like when you interview someone. The first day you interview them, you haven't met them. You've met the person that pretending to be to impress you to give them a job. I realized I had sold myself and I was hiding myself. And what was worse, I was already successful but I had still doubted myself enough to let that doubt take over. And I'm amazed at how many entrepreneurs still do that. They start, they focus on the problem. And when you're focusing on the problem, it's like people come to me and they say, hey, Steve, I've got to focus on my brand. And I say, no, you haven't. You've got to focus on your solution. Screw the brand. A brand is what other people say about you. Now, you can direct them by giving them a cool tagline that they can quote. But the bottom line of it is, a brand is what other people think about you. Focus on the solution that you provide and position it appropriately and let the brand develop around you. And when people are focusing, you think Elon Musk gives a shit what he wears? He cares about what he's producing. Steve Jobs openly wore black T-shirts and black polo necks because he didn't have to think what to wear in the morning. It was there. It was an easy way of avoiding a decision. Do you think he cares about what you think he looks like? They were focused on the solution. Bill Gates, Elon Musk, all of these people were focusing on the solution. And that's what I teach my clients now. Me? I could make you more interested in a cocktail party. Now when I consult, I can make your, uh, your business more profitable. I can create a greater impact for you and your family. I'm focusing on the solution, my solution. So all of you entrepreneurs out there, forget what you're selling. What are you solving? And that's where the focus should be. And when you focus on that, you haven't got to worry about what you look like. You haven't got to worry about what you're wearing. And that's, that's what happened to me. Luckily, I caught it early enough that I could put it back in the box 
and go back to being the good old-fashioned ugly me. <laughs> <laughs> the book is Blue Fishing, The Art of Making Things Happen. You said at the head of the show that you were the guy who made things happen. You were the doer. You've said that you have a reputation as a hustler and you quite like having that title as part of your reputation. Is there any stillness and silence in your world, Steve? Because you are the guy that makes things happen, you're, you're driving. Is there, is there a time in your day or your week for stillness and silence? Yeah, there has to be. Um, and that's why I said to you, I know more people in Chicago and uh, Macau than I do in Los Angeles. Um, I moved to Los Angeles because I ride motorcycles. One of the other beautiful reasons I ride motorcycles is I can't carry a cup of coffee, I can't give you a lift, and I can't answer the phone. So that is my meditation for me to just ride around the hills. I live up a long, windy gate up the hills in, in California. So when I close my front gate, no one even knows where I live. Um, and I have very few people, very few people, ever come to my house, not because I am totally rude, but because, as I said to you before, I don't associate with a lot of people in my area. I love to wake up in the morning, get my coffee, step outside into the sunshine as it starts to wake up in the day. I've got dogs. I've got a woman that I met when we were 16 and 17 years old that thankfully became my wife. i got three kids. My life is very, very tranquil. Um, I love I love gardening. One of the most exciting things about me at the moment is me picking new trees for my garden. So I am very much at peace. But come next Wednesday, I'm flying off to Vegas because I'm doing a two-day speech and training seminar for a major financial company in, in um, Vegas. Week after that, I'm in Arizona at a mastermind event and then giving a speech at a, an event called Create Conf- uh, CreateConference.com. You know, create your, uh, your future, I think it is. And then um, two days after that, I come back and then I fly to Tahoe for um, a mortgage event. So I have all of that craziness in my life. And then I come back to tranquility. And then it goes crazy again. And then the tranquility. And I like to say, I'll be glad when the craziness finishes. But there's a bit of me in the entrepreneur that, let's be blunt, enjoys that. I like the challenge. I actually, I race motorcycles as well. Uh, Not because I think I'm hugely competitive, but every entrepreneur comes alive when they're not in control. It's that moment when, oh my God, what's going to happen here? The, The hair stands up on the back of your neck and all your senses are alive. And you just, that's my adrenaline. That's my drug of choice. Whether I used to, when I was a youngster, I used to do boxing and kickboxing. I wasn't particularly good, but no matter what you look like, when you're in the corner of the ring and that bell goes, you go, crap, what now? Let's go to work. And it doesn't matter whether it's the green light on a racetrack, whether it's the bell ringing in a, in a, a boxing ring, or whether it's an email that comes in that just sends you down a rabbit hole. That's what the entrepreneur needs to keep alive. And I think that's what I like. I I am a nervous bag of bones just before I go on stage to deliver a speech in front of 800 people or 5,000 people. 
I am a nervous bag of my, and I will walk on that stage and I will look cool and calm, but I will tell everyone I was crapping my pants back there. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just a case of ent- every entrepreneur needs that moment. And a friend of mine, Joe Polish, said, it's that knowledge that you've got to get comfortable with being uncomfortable, which will allow you to conquer. And I love that moment. I love that moment. I don't know what's going to happen now. You know, I jump on the phone with you guys. We're doing a podcast on the other, cl- other side of the world, you know? It's an interesting aspect. It's, it, I won't say I'm crapping my pants, but you just don't know what to expect. Where's this going to go? And I'm glad to say it's been fun. Well, it actually made me think of something because uh, the Mojo Radio Show, we must be entrepreneurs because you just said entrepreneurs come alive when they are not in control. And we are never in control. In, this sh- in fact, I'd go so far as to say, Robert, this studio is always out of control. So we must all be entrepreneurs. Yeah, there's something in chaos really, isn't there? But uh, yeah. you, There absolutely is. It's, it's been a riveting hour, but Gary hasn't asked you the big question. Okay. How's your darts game? <laughs> Do you know, there is something that is, um, again, it's my narcissistic quality, I think. There is something very very funny about going to a British pub in Los Angeles because they smell like a British pub. I think they import carpets from the British pubs (laughs) into LA. So you've still got the kind of like stank, damp aroma, but then you step outside and it's blistering sunshine. So it it is funny. I actually love to watch British TV. Uh, And of course, you look out the window and the sun's shining. Yet the British drama is pissing down with rain. So it is so very funny to do that. A couple of uh, quick things to wrap this up, Steve. The tag of your email when you and I went back and forwards says perfection is in the imperfections. Have you, have you ever done the perfect event? How do you see perfection? I don't want perfection. Um, I think perfection would be um, frightening. Um, it's that constant strive. You know, it's, I, I'm a, again, it's this entrepreneurial thing. Everything we do is shit. I can imagine, actually not imagine, I'm going to go out on a limb here and guarantee that the first show you ever did was shit. I'm sure at the time you thought well, that was okay, but if you go back to it now, because your experience has got so better, because you guys have created a flow, uh, a relationship, there's a, a connection, there's a vibe, you'd look back on it and go, oh, my God, that was crap, okay? As entrepreneurs, we have to give ourselves permission that the first time we do, every, do anything, it'll be shit. And I think that's with me. Everything I do has got better. I always, always come out of every experience I have ever done and I do this with my speakeasies. I do this with my consulting clients. I do this with my course, Sims Distillery. I do it with my book. I literally look at everything I've done, and I don't ask myself the backslapping ego question of, well, how good was that? Or what did I do right? Or how much money did I make? I ask myself this question. What did I do wrong? Every single thing I do. Now, my book is just got released in Poland and was a sellout on the first day of release last Saturday. That's astonishing. 
But what did I do wrong? Maybe I should have got my ass over to Poland and got advanced orders. You know, there's always something you could do to have made something better. So I always ask myself, what did I do wrong? And I analyze that and then I'll work on that. So I never want to hit perfection because perfection's like getting to the end of the journey, isn't it? On your website or somewhere I found it, Steve, there is a clip that you played for your book launch for Blue Fishing. <laughs> and yeah. <laughs> but what's interesting with it, and my question is that the the bed to it or the soundtrack that sits underneath people talking and all the visuals was Aerosmith Dream On. Why did you pick that song? Was that something intentional or did the editor just think, oh, it's a cool song, let's drop it in? Is, is there a message behind that for you? Oh, there's a huge message. There's a few. You've got to understand the context. So when the book came out, I thought to myself, this is my pedestal to be able to tell people the way that a bricklayer from London has done these things. I didn't know if it would be successful. I didn't know if it would impact anyone. I didn't know if anyone would ever buy a copy. So when the publisher turned around, they said, oh, are you going to do a launch party? I said, what do you suggest? They sent me a check for $2,500. And they said, take over, and they gave me the address, take over the local Barnes & Noble, uh, which is a big bookstore over here, set up a table at the front of the store, get some champagnes, and offer to sign copies of your book. And I said, are you kidding? Who the hell do you think is going to walk over to me, you know, and have me sign a book? They've never heard of me. I've never been on TV, you know. Who do you think is going to come over and do that? And I said, on top of that, I don't drink champagne. But I took the two and a half grand, and I took over a whiskey bar in Hollywood and I invited a bunch of my boys and my girls and I said, we're going to get drunk to celebrate the launch of this book. I'm going to put two and a half grand behind the bar and we're going to drink it. And that was what it was. Now, a couple of friends of mine, Cole and Sanya Hadda, without me knowing this, and you can probably tell from the actual video, they videoed it. They actually brought a friend over. They went, oh, can we get some little bit of footage? Now, they do a lot of video vlogging. And I thought it was for them, okay? So I went, yeah, sure, if you like, you know, because it was a lovely little bar, lovely little backdrop. They could have done a little interview in the corner. You know, I had, you know, friends that are pretty well known. So, you know, it was a cool little thing. But you can see the beginning of the video, everyone's sober. And then as it goes on, they get more abusive because <laughs> they've been getting more drunk. And when they did it, I had always said that when I die, I'll probably have Dream On played uh, you know, as they cremate me or something, or as they load me into the back of a trash truck or something. And I just, Dream On had always been this song in my life that gave me permission to just dream. And again, like the example I gave you with Alexa and Siri and all these AI bots out there, they don't dream. The thing that makes you unique is your ability to dream and imagine and create. And so Dream On is probably one of those skill sets that we are losing in our modern day. So when they did the video, I was stunned at the video and I was so thrilled that they actually did it for me. And when they cherry-picked Dream On, it couldn't have been any better for me. I absolutely loved that little video. So if you want to see a bunch of people 
at the beginning being really nice about my book and then pretty much halfway through it getting completely drunk and abusive. Um, <laughs> then it's there, but that's where, the, uh, that's where it all came from. It came from Sonia and Cole Hadda. They do an event over here called Thrive that I've spoke at, and I'm very appreciative that they actually took the time to video it. On that note, James Lipton, who was one of my favourite interviewers who did a show called Inside the Actor Studio. Oh, yeah. Everyone can still find it on YouTube, interviewed the greatest living actors, directors and producers in front of a live audience made up of students of that craft. He died at the age of 93. The final question that James would ask of today's greatest living actors, producers and directors was this. He said... If heaven exists, what would you like God to say when you arrive at the pearly gates? You've played that track. You've been delivered to the pearly gates. What would you, if, if heaven exists, what would you like God to say to Steve Sims? I actually used to watch that show, and so I do remember him doing those things. Um, I've had some fun in my life, and I've tried to pack as much life as I can into it. So when I knock on the pearly gates, I'd love him to give me a little smile, hand me a bourbon old fashioned and just go, well, you had some fun, didn't you? And that'd be it. (laughs) Just to close, we started by dropping names and I'm going to finish by dropping names. You you worked with Sir Elton John for a number of years and did a lot of events for him. And I suspect that somebody at that level, with all he's done, would be very discerning about the people he has around him, let alone in an ongoing situation of years and years. If I sat with Sir Elton and said, I am meeting with a guy called Steve Sims next week, Tell me the three words that he would probably use to describe <laughs> Steve Sims as a man. As a man, he he would probably look at you and just say something simple like, "Oh, that fucker." Um, <laughs> he, he's a very he's a very crude, direct fella. Um, but if I had to think of the words, he actually has got an endorsement on the back of my book. Funny enough. Um, but he would probably say, um, focused, driven, and I hate to use this word, but authentic. I think that sums up our show today. I always know I've got someone of value on the show when I have lots of notes and there, there was just some absolute gold you dropped today, Steve, and I hope that we can all take it and not think about the celebrity world or the world of money and celebrity and people owning countries, but take the lessons, take not the outcomes, but take the process and apply it to our own world because I think you dropped some serious gold today. Um, where, where would people go to find out more about you, although I know you don't have a lot of details that you give out freely? Where would you like people to go to learn about you and your work? Well, you can go over to stevedsims.com. There's one M in Sims, stevedsims.com, or head over to simsdistillery.com. Or you can find me on Facebook under Steve D. Sims or the better one, and it's free of charge, 
an entrepreneur's advantage with Steve Sims. I, I tend to jump in there and, you know, drop drop things that I'm working on and what lessons they've learned. My stuff doesn't always go right, like every entrepreneur. And I tend to like to go in there and go, well, I did this and boy, that went south. And I tell people about what went wrong as much as I tell people about what went right so they can better then hopefully miss out on a few more of the scars that I'm taking on their behalf. Gary's obviously not well enough caffeinated this morning because he's missed two big questions. The other one we need <laughs> to know. The other one we need to know, mate, you've spoken about the bike. What's your ride? Yeah. Um, well, this, this is the one that would have my wife very annoyed. I, <laughs> I, I tell everyone I have a life-threatening disease. Um, I buy motorcycles and then my wife threatens my life. Um, I'm really good at buying motorcycles and I'm terrible at selling them. Yeah. So yeah, that's I a disease. go out and I – yeah, it is a disease. So my most recent one – is a uh, Harley Davidson 2020 Road Glide Special, um, so I can do big old long distances. Nice. Um, and my oldest one is a 1975 Norton Commando 850, and I've got a bunch of Ducatis and Aprilias and bikes in between. So my uh, my garage is uh, like a little museum and getting bigger with uh, motorcycles every couple of months. <laughs> so so what's the what's the favourite one for a ride through the Californian hills then? Well, that's the thing. If it's a Sunday afternoon and I want to be transported back in time uh, and I want to pretend as though I'm a, a racer, maybe I'll go out on a Ducati Hailwood. Um, or if I want to pretend that I'm a, a, a London gent, I'll go out on the Norton. But if I want to scare the grannies, maybe I'll go out on a, on a Harley <laughs> Diner, you know, with the big old bars up in the air. So it really depends on the mood at the moment. Sounds like the next time in, I'm in LA, I better look you up. I would say that would be a very smart thing. Just bring your penny so we can get the old fashions. I was going to say, I know you don't take people to your house, but maybe I could just visit your garage. There you go. It's good enough for me. Yes. You won't be able to find him. Let me set up the final question, Steve. You've you've worked with a lot of iconic rock bands and artists. You've We've talked about Journey. You've helped make somebody's dream come through with Journey. You talked about Guns N' Roses. Obviously, we talked about Sir Elton John. So some iconic names you'd rock. To finish this little shindig, let me throw you to the big man in the corner here for the final question. So you're out of bed in the morning, uh, cup of coffee in hand, walking through the garden, but your mojo's just not happening today and sort of not feeling it. What is the go-to track on iPod, Google Home, whatever, that you put on headphones, Bluetooth speaker, whatever, to get Steve Sims seriously motivated for the day? Wow. Um, just so you understand, I probably have probably about an $80,000 audio system and I think my TV cost me like 800 bucks. <laughs> so I am very, I'm very focused on my audio quality yeah. and I have, I'm constant, constantly buying albums and music. So my musical range is very but if I had to, one tune. All right, okay, so let's play this. Metallica Ugh. and the Philharmonic and the Philharmonic Orchestra when they did Four Leaf Clover. Oh. Did you ever hear that one? Uh, 30 years in radio, I've heard it many times. Absolutely.
that album and I never played it for probably, I think, three years because I didn't think my speakers were worthy of it. <laughs> and so it wasn't until I bought the new Baron Wilkins Diamond speakers that I first heard that album. And I'd owned it for about three years because it was that. I didn't want to do it any disservice. So I would say that. Or if you want another easy one, Chains by Fleetwood Mac. funny hearing you talking about your audio, mate. I've got a $25,000 recording studio, but when I listen to my music, it's on the crappy old Bluetooth speaker in the corner. It's <laughs> 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 weird, yeah. Uh, Steve, say we could turn the tables on you and we could make happen that you could walk onto stage at Wembley in front of... 75,000 people with a band and be on stage when they played. If we could make that happen, who would be the band you would want to walk on stage with live or past? God. Oh, shoot, that's a tough one, isn't it? Um, I suppose, I, I suppose purely and simply because of the iconic nature, um, it would probably just have to be you know, just just something that because he, yeah, I would say probably go on there with Elvis. <laughs> nice, I can relate to that. Yeah, because I, I have I have been so, I've been so blessed to be either backstage or walk on stage with so many people, um, and get up with so many things and hang out with so many different people. I'm doing an event in Hollywood in a couple of weeks' time, and I'm there with uh, Slash, Duff McKeegan. Um, uh, Matt Sorum, Billy Duffy, you know, so I'm very, very blessed. The original Gunners. Yeah, it is. It is. It's um, it's a phenomenal show for for Matt's charity that we're doing it for. Um, but uh, you know, so I'm very, very blessed there. So it would have to be someone that I couldn't have the possibility of doing it. So it'd probably have to. I know, I know, as a Brit, people are, would say, "Oh, why is he saying the Beatles?" I think it'd have to be. Uh, I think it'd have to be Elvis, just purely and simply, because for shits and giggles, going on there with Elvis with in his heyday with all of his white suits and the rhinestones, that would just be hilarious. Being a Brit, you might appreciate this. I was uh, YouTubing the other night and saw uh, David Bowie live on stage with Pink Floyd doing "Comfortably Numb," which was just incredible. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Quality. You know, as I reflect now, there's two that would be tough to be between. I said Elvis. If I really wanted to be on there, Elvis would be for shits and giggles to walk on because it'd be fun and funny and it'd be a great tune. But if I wanted to have my last one, then you've obviously just stated it, Queen. Yeah. 
Nice. Absolutely. Says some quality there. We've just named some quality groups, let's be honest. Tell you what, and we've just had Queen here too, so there you go. They were awesome, apparently. My 14-year-old son toddled along and had a great time. That's some seriously good stuff. Well, Steve, thank you so much for your time, mate. This has been, it's been a real pleasure hearing your stories. Uh, I've certain everyone's got a load of gold from this. Thank you to Ben Baker for putting us in touch. And uh, no doubt Robbo will be tracking you down in LA to go motorbike riding, mate. <laughs> Look forward to it. Hi, I'm Maria Gronberg. I'm a climber. I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro four times and summited Mount Everest this year of May. Oh, man, I'm struggling through the Mojo Show. The Mojo Radio Show. Simsy. Not bad, not bad. I tell you what, 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 what would yours be? Come on, what, what, if you if you had the money, and if the funds were unlimited, and you went to Simsy and said, "Mate, this is what I want." What, what would your, what would your dream be? Don't know. I need to think about that. Really, mine, mine would be. Mm, I probably have two. Mine would be, mine would be to hang out with uh, the boys from Pink Floyd for a day because I just love their music and find their writing inspirational. Uh, and on the thrill side of things, I would love a fast lap in a Formula One car of the Monaco Grand Prix circuit. That would be insane. Sims is your man if you got the cash. Yes. Now, and this is, that's the thing with this. Right? <laughs> it, to, me, to me, this the only thing with this is that people go, you need to have money. But what's important with this is what's behind that is having the dream first. Don't... Don't listen to these things that what Steve's talking about and think you need to have money for them because there are some people like the Kerrigans who are big fans of the show who just getting on an aeroplane for the first time is exciting. So perhaps the takeout, there's a couple of things for me with Simsy is first of all, you got to have the confidence to have a dream, take the time to dream because some people don't have those things off the top of their head. Write it down. You have to do the work. But the other part is that people like Steve Sims exist, whether they be friends or associates, workmates, or somebody like Steve who gets paid big money to do it. But I don't think there's anything wrong with asking for someone's help to make things happen. But you've got to have the confidence and commitment in your own mind and the belief to do it. And on that, on that belief, I've got a pop quiz for you, Hotshot. The Mojo Radio Show. Pop quiz, hotshot. Shoot. During the interview, Steve mentioned a band and he created an event for a client that wanted to go and meet this band. And they didn't just meet the band, he actually played with them. See if you can tell me, 1981, this was a hit. Tell me the name of the song and who the band was. Uh, um, yeah, uh-oh, my time is up. Okay. I do know it. 1981. Yes. Yeah. The Escape album. Journey. Yeah. Don't Stop Believing. Don't Stop Believing. Yeah. Now, second part to this pop quiz hotshot. Which guest loved that track, a recent guest loved oh. that track and played it to dance to at their retreats? Oh, Jesus. Um, yeah, bump bow yet again, mental blank. And I've got to say this was a cracking show, and I know I say it all the time, but if you are new to the show, 
Go back through our library. You don't have to go back that far. It's episode 262. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. A lady called Jen Pasteloff. And what was incredible about Jen's story is that she was working in a Manhattan restaurant and she was deaf. And by having to, to do the job to get by, she learned to lip read and learned to read people's emotions to take orders as a waitress. It's just an astonishing, astonishing story. But her theme song that she plays at her retreats now is Escape from the Escape album, Don't Stop Believing. It's funny how all these things thread together through mm. the show. Mm, there's a bit of a common thread, isn't there? It's like all the Navy SEALs love their heavy metal. I think that's pretty cool. Yes, that is true. But then if you, the uncommon is guys like Jeff Nichols, who now plays people like Adele. Yeah, true. To calm Absolutely. himself down because he was too jacked up on Megadeth. So uh, there's your light and shade of a Navy SEAL. Who was sending robots into battle playing Phil Collins? Um, that might have been Life, was it? Yeah. Life, <laughs> <laughs> that, that was a killer show That's too. That's awesome. I, I, I've, I was a rap on him. I've told that story a thousand times. I think that's so cool. So before we finish up the show, a little bit of housekeeping. Sincere thanks to Dion, who runs Canon Australia. He sent a note to the Canon database of clients and partners, and they outlined Canon's favourite podcast, and we made the list. There's only three on it. <laughs> and we're on there with Mr. Burris, Mr. Burris, Mark Burris, who is wow. a finance legend in Australia. And a big thanks to Laurie from Inland Digital, who are one of the premier Canon dealers in Australia who found it and sent it through because he listens to the show as well. So uh, top shelf, boys. Well done. Gold. Nice. Yeah, on your cannon. Now, we love you. Another, another one, uh, this is a classic. I caught up last week at the Zoom meeting with Fordsy. Now, you remember Fordsy had dinner with us with a guy called Darren Altclass who bought a bunch of our very special listeners dinner one night at WeWork in Sydney. Now, Darren Altclass wrote a book called This Way, Please. He's a brand expert. He's a very successful author. And Fordsy, who was a Patreon supporter of the show, because we're going through tough times, uh, what I've offered to do is speak to all our Patreon supporters on the, on, the, on the Zoom. We spent an hour or so together just throwing stuff around, but I got the time to spend to Fordsy, who's in going through a bit of a career change at the moment, a bit of a sesh. But uh, I've got to say it's nice to catch up with people who are Patreon supporters live to hear their thoughts on the show. So a big shout-out to Fordsy. Good luck with uh, the future, I'm, mate. I'm changing his nickname. Fordsy's boring. Let's call him GT. I think that's better. <laughs> Falcon <laughs> GT. We'll call him GT. Yeah, too much. Too yeah. much. Nah, come on. Uh, and also Daniel, who wrote to the studio, he is now on board the bus via Patreon, showing some first-grade support. And he said, I love this, he said he loves the guests, he loves the messages and he loves the rock history. And for me, that's three out of three. And if we were playing darts, that would be 180. Yeah. Well, there's, there's probably four things. He obviously loves his booze as well if he thinks the rest of those things. <laughs> now, here's one for Daniel, the Canon team, 4D, and you, big fella. GT. Here is yeah. a cracking Pop Quiz Hot Shot. Another one. The Mojo Radio Show. Pop Quiz Hot Shot. Take us out. Mm. What do Robert James Ritchie Sr., John Francis Bondi, Bondiovi, Brian Warner, 
Vincent Damon Furnier, William Bruce Rose, and Marvin Lee Aday have in common? <laughs> they're, all, they're all jockeys and they won the Kentucky Derby? <laughs> is crack- this is a cracker. I don't know. This is a cracker. Robert James Ritchie Sr. is Kid Rock. Francis John Bon Jovi is John Bon Jovi. Brian Warner is Marilyn Manson. Vincent Damon Furnier is Alice Cooper. William Bruce Rose is Axel Rose. And Marvin Lee Aday is Meatloaf. Ah, of course. Yeah, yeah. So here's my thread. They were all alter egos, a character they stepped into to perform. Now, how it ties back to today's show, and I put a bit of thought into this, as you can see. Can but, see the gears turning. But Steve Sims, there was a point during the show where he let himself get away from himself and he started to wear clothes and haircuts, which Todd Herman, who was a wonderful guest back on show 262, that's a must listen to any new listener. Go back, listen to Todd. They're what he called totems. And you wear these totems to help you create an alter ego to step into. That's what Steve Sims did. He created this alter ego, but it was taking him down a rabbit hole. But all these people that I've just talked about have all created an alter ego. But an alter ego only works if you do what Steve Sims did eventually, is go back and say, actually, who who am I? Unless you know who you are, you can't create an alter ego. And once you know who you are, then you can address all the old stories you tell yourself and the alter ego can be used to take you beyond your perceived constraints. And it's fascinating that a lot of performers who can't go on stage, Sasha Fierce, Eminem, all these guys created alter egos because when they walked on stage, they needed, they needed a character to step into to get beyond themselves. However, you have to know yourself. And I thought Steve covered it off really nicely how he went to that track where he didn't know himself. Now he's very comfortable in his own skin and he's much more at peace and the success comes from not all the trappings he thought he needed but him just knowing himself and helping others. So I, I thought it was a very interesting scenario and there are a lot of people who have these alter egos to step into. I'll put the link to Todd Herman's show into the show notes. The only thing I don't know is what song you want to play out with. We have played a lot of cool play out songs in our time, a lot of great rock and roll. Marvin Lee a day has never in 270, close to 270 odd episodes of the Mojo Radio Show cracked a look. So I reckon it's about time we played a bit of Meatloaf. What song? Maybe uh, Bad Out of Hell? We're out.
the fires are howling way down in the valley tonight. There's a man in the shadows with a gun in his eye and a blade shining no so bright. There's evil in the air and there's thunder in the sky and a killer's on the bloodshot streets. Oh, I'm down in the tunnel with a deadly horizon. No, I swear I saw a young boy down in the gutter. He was stopping the foam in the heat. Baby, you're the only thing in this whole world That's pure and good and right And wherever you are and wherever you go There's always gonna be some light But I gotta get out, I gotta break it out now Before the final crack of dawn So we gotta make the most of our one night Together when it's over, you know We'll both be so alone
like a sinner before the gates of heaven I'll come crawling on back to you Mojo Radio Show is produced and recorded in the basement of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at the Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. To help us get better and give more people the opportunity to touch up their mojo, you can now find us on Patreon. 
Follow the links on the front page of our website and for a coffee or two a month, you'll get regular bonus material and a copy of Explosive Hits 19, the best of the Mojo Radio Show. In the meantime, to polish your next audio production, check out voodoosound.com.au. For more about Gary, see garybirtwhistle.com. And to book me, go to andrewpeters.com. Andrew Peters speaking. See you next time.